Hello, this is Scott Bolden, and I would like to welcome you to another edition of SBM Studios Podcast. Hello again, and we welcome everybody back to the SBM Studios Podcast. This is our third episode, and we're tickled to have a special guest with us today, a longtime friend of mine and former ministry partner, Brother Rodney Brazel, uh, currently pastoring Connection Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, we look forward to discussing uh, several things with Rodney today. But Rodney, I'd like to welcome you. And the way I usually start these things out is to have my guest kind of give an introduction, say anything you'd like to start out with as far as your family or what you'd like to have our listeners know about you. So uh, take it away, Rodney. Well, Scott, it is an honor to be with you today, and we are uh, thrilled to have this opportunity to do this podcast with you, my first one to ever do. So uh, this is uh, this is out of my box, and maybe even out of my comfort zone uh, a little bit. So if I sound nervous, uh, that's why. Give me, give me a pulpit or give me a microphone, and we can do that. But I don't know about these podcast deals, but, <laughs> uh, but it is... Uh, it is good to be able to to, to renew old acquaintance and uh, spend some time together talking about uh, ministry and all that God has done. Uh, we are excited to be here in Louisville, Kentucky, working and uh, to have my family with me and on board with all that we're doing. My wife, Ashley, from originally from the Dothan, Alabama area, uh, and then uh, our three kids, Dylan, which is a uh, just finished his first year in college, so he'll be a sophomore this fall. Uh, our daughter, Elena. And uh, uh, she'll be a, uh, what is she going to be? She's going to be a junior this year in wow. high school. Yeah, wow is right. And then our youngest one, uh, she's uh, Bella. She will be eight years old, and she will be a second grader this year. So uh, it, it's cool to our, I'm sorry, third grade. She's telling me she's listening in. So she'll be in third grade. <laughs> Uh, this year. So I'll tell you, time is flying by so fast here. I can't even keep up with it. So, uh, but you know, it, it's good to have my family to be involved with what we're doing. And each one of them has a special part in our ministry here. And uh, it's awesome to be able to do what we're doing as a family. Yes, sir. So. And you talk about how time flies. Um, you know, I was thinking about that. And you said you've got one who just finished the first year in college, you've got a junior next year. Um, I've got a senior this coming year, and it just seems like yesterday that you and I were teenagers, and I uh, thought maybe we'd talk a little bit. Uh, I know some people who will listen to this will know us together uh, from yep. from days gone by, and you and I had uh, commonality in that we were young roadies for uh, Columbians and Bama boys back in the day mm -hmm. when you and I were mere babies uh, just mm -hmm. traveling around. And uh, I know that you and your sister Loretta uh, traveled around a lot, especially in the Bama Boys years. And I know right. your first cousin with uh, Mark Jones, who played piano with the Bama Boys for years. And then eventually Loretta married Neil Champion, my cousin, and longtime singer with the Bama Boys. And they still minister together with Chosen Witness. But you and I kind of grew up together. And I was thinking about the memories of that. And uh, I was thinking about, you know, my first memories of you, I guess, was before either one of us really had a part in the group, but we would go around and whoever was playing drums at the time, we would help tear down the drum set or try to uh, try to wrap up a chord. And 
I know thinking back on it now, being an adult, probably I was more in the way most of the time than helping, but uh, they were always kind to let us help. But is that about the time that you kind of remember me from? Yeah, uh, that's where it all started for sure. That's where our paths crossed, and and man, those man, that's going back quite a few years there. Oh yeah, um, got to dust off the cobwebs in the memory <laughs> department on that. Uh, but uh, oh man, it, it was awesome, and I, I don't know how we really became good friends uh, with the um, differences in in you know schools, oh, yeah. college, sports, and stuff. Sure, but, sure, uh, hey. Uh, you know, it's it's a lo- it's a love hate relationship there, but uh, that's understandable. Uh, one of these days, I guess one of us will get our heart right and join the other team. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, because you were actually a Mississippi young man who was a, a big time Alabama fan, and and still that and way, still that yes. way, no matter where you live. So that's, that's fine. right. I, I have no yep. problem. I've I've got several <laughs> lost friends down around here too. So uh, no, yeah, I'm just kidding. Uh, but but no, you know, and, and we grew up like that, and and yeah, um, thinking about how we traveled along is is I guess you'd say fans. Uh, of course, we were family, two members, but you know, fans, and and then that progressed to I guess yeah. the first tiptoes into ministry that you and I experienced was when we actually had the privilege to become part of right. the Bama Boys Quartet. And right. I started out myself first playing drums uh, when I never will forget the night. The drummer uh, stepped over a trailer hitch and did not make the step all the way. Uh, he came up with a dislocated broken arm and Uncle Jake looked at me and said, you're playing drums tonight. And I thought, uh, what? But that uh, that's kind of where it started, and then eventually I, I stepped in and started doing a little singing, and then the same thing. Basically, I guess about the time when Uncle Jake, or that's what I call him, most folks know him as Joe Champion, and, and Avon Rushing, longtime bass singer, both of those uh, men kind of stepped out and, and, and quit going with the group, quit mm-hmm. traveling, and, and you and I had the opportunity to step up to a microphone. I, I kind of sang a lead baritone, and you sang a bass, but... <laughs> I remember. I really uh, remember those days. Finally, you know, you and I were both teenagers, and we knew everything. Uh, had uh, had the world all figured out. Couldn't be told anything. And I'm talking about myself in that now. Both of us. I mean, that's just right. that's just that's just being part of being a teenager. But you know, it was still a. It was still when my love for Southern gospel music got born in me, and and I do think that's when the seeds of ministry was really planted down deep down mm-hmm. uh, for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I mean, because I, I was just sitting here thinking, as you, you was mentioning, when you got started, um, we had gone up, our family had gone up to hear them one night in the Friendship area uh, or Friendship Church up the old Steens, uh-huh. yeah. uh, Millport Road up in that area. Right. And um, I never will forget Joe telling me, he says, uh, Rodney, uh, you wear a coat and tie next time, I'll <laughs> let you sing. And sure enough, I did. And then from that point forward, uh, about every time we was with him, he'd call me up and let me sing. So uh, the time that Chris and Neil and Joe and Avon all invested into us, oh, man. Uh, little did they know the seeds that they were planting oh, yeah. Yeah. and what they were doing and touching our lives, uh, you know, preparing us for something even greater than, than just local ministry, but, uh, you know, to some degree worldwide, uh, in, even in what we're doing. Uh, so it, it, it's amazing when you stop and think about all the folks that God puts in our paths when we don't even realize that they're put there at that time. 
Uh, but yet now you get our age and you can look back and reminisce. And I say our age, I mean, we're, I guess, considered middle age now. But oh, yeah. We still feel young, <laughs> or at least I hope we do. <laughs> yes, right, I do. But, uh, but, to, but to look back and to think about all of those guys, and, um, you know, they, they put up with a lot of us. Uh, me and you would get the short straw and have to sit in the back <laughs> of the van in those two chairs. That's right. Uh, and, uh, you know, go around the curve, and, we you know, we'd be leaning into each other or have the suits, sports coats, all that stuff, when we yep. go up to Lawrenceburg and all of that. Yep. And, uh, but, uh, you know, getting in 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, getting a little nap and getting ready to go again on Sunday somewhere. And, you know, those, those were good days, days that I cherish and, and oh, yeah. uh, look back on as, as very important times in my life because I think it probably kept me out of a lot of trouble uh, but also helped gear me in the right direction for being where, uh, you know, where God could use me. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you've been there as well. So, oh, yeah. And then to look at where we are now and just to think, you know, where we've come from and just it's just, it's just amazing to see God's hand at work in all of it. So. Absolutely. Because you, you mentioned how, how God places people in our lives. And, and uh, I don't want to, I, I don't want to sit down on any part of my story here very long. But, you know, uh, definitely we came together as a part of that time. Um, came, came from different backgrounds, and and mm-hmm. at that point in time in my personal life, I came from a uh, a broken home, and and of course lived in the Billport area with my mom, and you know being with the, everyone who was in that group, and especially the the elders like uh, Uncle Jake and Avon, you definitely you know mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. that they put into me, I will guarantee you kept me from going down a pretty bitter path, you know, as a teenager that was facing some tough times during that point in my life. And, oh, yeah, definitely. God knew what he was doing. And, yeah, he did plant those seeds. And even moving on, and I kind of do a little fast-forward button here, uh, our, our paths kind of separated after that, but mm-hmm. we're still kind of crisscrossed back and forth. I know you and I both did tours of duty with Chosen Witness, which is a group mm-hmm. that's still going today uh, that mm-hmm. Loretta and Neil and, and Mark founded together, and you were a founding member when Chosen Witness was formed. And so traveling and singing, and then both of us then really ventured on out into uh, ministry into church ministry mm-hmm. and so at this point if you don't mind kind of give us a little background uh that le- uh, of course i know you've made some changes in the last few years ministerially wise but maybe give us a little background of you know you're calling into into church ministry and and some of your stops along the way sure well you know one of the things i always go back to this uh i knew when i was a a junior in high school what god wanted me to do uh, but I like a lot of young people ran and because uh, I didn't want to preach, uh, you know, not not that um, uh, preaching wasn't a, a, a viable option or a path. Uh, but I had other plans. My plans was to go into funeral business. And of course, some of you folks that may listen oh, yeah. to this, uh, I worked there with Daddle, with George Daddle at Daddle Funeral Home. Uh, for uh, probably eight years, nine years. Uh, went through the last couple of years in high school part-time and then uh, went to Jeff State uh, up there in Birmingham for uh, funeral service. And, you know, uh, you know that, but, but God just began to move in my heart. Uh, and, you know, and I appreciate those years of ministry there. And, and, of course, we'll get into it in a moment, but I always tell people, you know, my time working at the funeral home, I believe, prepared me 
for what I'm doing right now, working with a dead church. Yep. Uh, so, you know, there's a little, a little humor there. Some may not find it humorous, but I do. I'm and, laughing. Uh, and I try to tell that because I think it is funny because there are a lot of similarities. And, uh, of course, we don't have time. We don't, you know, two or three podcasts, we might get into all of that. But we don't have time today to, to just talk about that. But, but still, uh, but from there, God just began to work in my heart. And uh, uh, just some things that I knew wasn't right personally. Uh, from the way I was raised, it was taking me down a path that I really didn't want to go, that I knew better about. Uh, and just by the grace of God, uh, he reached down and began to, again, put people in my path that would redirect my focus um, and back more towards ministry. Now, not that funeral service is not ministry. I believe it is. I believe there's a there's a calling to that. I believe it's an awesome opportunity to be used by God in that situation when families are grieving and you can do one last thing for mom and dad that, uh, you know, it makes it a little easier during that time. But uh, that's not what God called me to. And there, and I knew that, and I was running at that time. Uh, but God just began again to orchestrate, put people in my paths that began to change some things. I went into Christian school for a while and taught there. Uh, and then finally, uh, on Mother's, not fun, but Father's Day, 1998, uh, I had met um, earlier that year, I had met my now wife, uh, and I had gone down to meet her family and spend some time with them, and we went to church on Father's Day down there. And uh, something the preacher said in that, that message just really spoke to my heart uh, and, begot, and really got me thinking. Well, that night, we'd come back to, to, to Birmingham. Uh, Ashley was going to school at University of Montevallo, and uh, of course, Neil Loretta lived there. Uh, but uh, that night, the bishops, uh, which were very good friends with us through the Bama Boys years and are the end of the Bama Boys term and everything when they'd come into our summer specials and everything, right. uh, we went to hear them at First Baptist Church at Alabaster there, which was just two blocks over from where Neil Loretta lived. And I never will forget Kenny Bishop standing up there that night. And uh, through the course of the concert, he, he began to talk about uh, the fact that you know, people uh, are, are not serving the Lord and, and where they need to be because they forgot what it was like to be without Christ. And that just hit me. And uh, I mean, that was it. Uh, that's, that's when I finally said, okay, Lord, I'm tired of running. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm tired of doing what I want to do and I'm not happy with that. Um, so I'll do it. I'll do it. And I took the advice that my pastor gave me years earlier uh, that he said, uh, at the time that he surrendered to call to preach. Uh, and I don't think it's an answering. I think it's a surrender. I mean, because uh, there's a lot of people that are that are calling or being called, and there's a lot of people that are answering, and they're answering no uh, to the call that God's placed upon their lives. Uh, but he, he said, look, when I was running, he said, my pastor told me, and he said, this is the same thing I'll tell you. Uh, you run till you can't run no more, and you can't do anything else. Well, I had done that. I had experimented in several different things, funeral service, Christian school, Christian radio, uh, you know, several things there that, that I thought was still ministry. And, and it seemed like each one was getting closer and closer uh, to finally, I just said, Lord, you know, I, I can't do it. I'm not happy. I'll do what you want me to do. And here we are 20, 22 years later, um, living a fulfilled life. Uh, because I know uh, we're in ministry. We're where God wants us to be. Uh, hadn't always been easy, uh, 
but it's easier because I know this is where God wants me to be. So uh, that's sort of the fast forward version of it and yeah. to where we're at now. So, and through the course of those, those years, uh, you know, we, we've pastored in Alabama, uh, Tennessee, Mississippi, and now Kentucky. And uh, God is just, uh, you know, in, in each spot, it was a growing opportunity for us uh, to really get to where we are right now. That's fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's, I've heard folks say, and my calling has never been really geared or steered toward pastoring a church, you know, being the mm-hmm. senior, the lead pastor. Now, definitely feel like I am a pastor and have served as a an elder in the church, but but I've never had that senior pastor calling. Um, but I've heard those that uh, any kind of ministry, uh, and I, I definitely have that. From, I remember the calling into youth ministry that basically got me started in into the church ministry, and I'm running from it. You know, I, I grew up, and yeah, you and I hung out together, but most of the folks I hung out with as, as a kid, as a teenager, were 10, 20, 30 years older than me. I, I, I didn't mm-hmm. really like young people. I mean, to be honest, right. when I was a young person, I didn't identify. I just didn't get along. It was just it was just tough. And, you know, everything was being orchestrated by God for me and Janice to serve in youth ministry. And I'm like, but I don't want to. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and you make right. all these excuses and, and all these reasons why. And then, but, but God keeps dealing with you. And I've heard it said by several people similar to what I think you said, you said something similar to what I'm fixing to say in that if you can do anything else, do it, you know, Mm -hmm. because if God is calling you to ministry, he's not going to let loose of you. He's not going to turn loose. You cannot outrun God. And mm-hmm. and so I've heard I've heard folks say that uh, that has especially had some real maybe Jonah experiences you know mm-hmm. that really really ran from from the calling right. to ministry so yeah that that's 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 a powerful point so as you served in the local church and and you did serve for several years in the local church ministry and established mm-hmm. I, I'd say. I hate to throw around words like established or traditional, but I think folks will know what we mean in that these churches were long time established. They mm-hmm. they they had a, mm-hmm. they they existed when you came in to be called as the pastor. They were there. They were established churches. They had a tradition and a history in the area. So you mm-hmm. served in those circumstances and you served those churches well. Uh, but I'm picking up that then you started feeling a, a steering and a calling in a different direction. And uh, mm-hmm. maybe you might talk a little bit about that transition uh, sure. to to when you started feeling like there might be something else that God was leading you to do as far as being a pastor. Sure. Well, you know, it, it, it seemed like and it took several years for me to, to, to figure out somewhat what God was doing. Because um, once, you know, eight or 10 years into it, uh, we began to look back and, and think about some things and say, okay, this is why God had us here. This is why God had us here. And it seemed like every little church opportunity we had, and, and a couple of the first two were smaller rural churches. Uh, then I was youth pastor at a church for a time and uh, then moved to Tennessee to a, to a church. But uh, the bottom line is it seemed like each church had some sort of um, issue uh, that had happened prior to us going. 
um, and, and difficult time. And it seemed like God was using us for a short period of time with those folks uh, to help encourage them and maybe bring them back around, you know, to help heal some of the hurt. Uh, it seemed like we were there through the healing process uh, in the, that these churches were experiencing. It took a while, though, to figure that out. And uh, so it's almost as though God was just preparing us for that. Uh, we had a pretty traumatic experience in Tennessee, uh, and, and that almost uh, caused us to just throw the towel in. Uh, but fortunately, God placed us in a, in a tremendous church in, in uh, North Mississippi uh, that uh, loved on us. They took us in, and we were there seven years, uh, and it didn't seem like seven. Those were the quickest seven years. Uh, that we had ever, you know, ministered somewhere. They were good years, uh, profitable years. When I say profitable, I mean uh, success in ministry. Uh, it, 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 it was the oasis that we needed. But even there, uh, the onset was, well, we're not going to move. This is it. We're going to retire here. But uh, four or five, five years into it, uh, God just began stirring the pot again. Uh, not that anything particularly was going on to disrupt the flow of things, but uh, God has a way of, of, of just, you know, just rocking the boat a little bit. Right. And uh, maybe some little statements here and there. I had gotten into having, you know, my, the, the folks I were having in for revival services were, were missionaries. And uh, God was just using them and the messages that they, they would preach uh, to speak more to my heart. Uh, than, you know, maybe to our folks. Uh, so we, we began to see and just secretly between me and Ashley began to talk about it. Well, okay, maybe we're not going to be here for the rest of our lives and maybe God has more for us. And uh, sure enough, uh, that the door of opportunity opened for us to, to be where we're at now. Uh, but it, it took some time. It took some, again, some wrestling with it. Uh, because we, we were loved by these folks. We were established. Our kids had roots. Right. Uh, Bella was born there, and she was, you know, building relationships with, with kids her age. And, uh, of course, Dylan and Elena, they had a youth group. They had opportunity to, to serve. We were involved in community things and, you know, had really established ourselves in the community. Folks knew us when we went to Walmart or wherever. And, right. Um, you know, they, they'd see us. They'd recognize us. And. Uh, but God just has a way sometimes of, uh, you know, pushing us out of our comfort zone. And uh, we don't always like that. We kick the system some, uh, maybe like the, like Paul did, uh, kicked against the pricks a little bit when we're getting poked because we, we like our comfort. That's right. um, but, you know, through it all, God, you know, God, I think, has prepared us for this, uh, for what we're doing now. And, uh, you know, that's somewhat awesome. where we're at. That's awesome, and yeah, I, I can definitely uh, understand, um, even with the feeling that you had uh, of knowing that you were being prepared to be moved, that it's not an easy decision, and you know, a um, little different circumstance again, because I know uh, you were in North Mississippi, which is not exactly your hometown, but you had planted roots there. Uh, you talked mm -hmm. about your children being established, and yeah, I... Uh, also had some experiences and, you know, I, I served 17 years in one church and, mm -hmm. and so, you know, when it came time that there was going to have to be a change and, and that moves were going to have to be made, 
um, for me personally, in my spirit, and um, sometimes I'm a little too open with my feelings, but I mean, it was devastating. I mean, I, right. it, that's my church family. That's my church mm-hmm. home. I'd spent 17 years serving as pastor, 20 years as a member, mm-hmm. and the love that was in my heart and still is in my heart for the church and every single person, you know, every single life, every single member in that church. Uh, It's strong. And and to think about that changing and and then to think about that's the only place that Garrett ever knew. Mm -hmm. He, 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 that was his church from nursery to, you know, till we left. And yeah, so that's, that makes the, that's where those, that flesh starts coming in those decisions. And and to be honest, about three, four or five years, I probably tarried with the decisions that needed to be made purely Mm -hmm. because, well, first of all, I'm a mix of a champion and a bolden, so I'm hard headed. And then, um, there's also those emotions and I just, I didn't want to go anywhere. You know, I didn't, I I did not. And so I, I totally feel you on that, man. But so they, but the Lord kept dealing with you and and Mm -hmm. you knew you were transitioning. uh, And and now you are what you would call a, a, you are a pastor of what you would call a a revitalization of a church. Is that, is that summering up with church revitalization is what we're talking about? Yeah, that, that would be the easiest way to describe it. Uh, And, and just leading up to that, uh, our Free Will Baptist denomination had had just recently went through some changes on our home mission office a couple of years prior to us getting involved in this, and had brought a gentleman on from o- Ohio that uh, had taken a church and uh, basically took it from little of nothing and turned it around and and was running five six hundred people out in the middle of nowhere or in a smaller area. Uh, it's not like he was in Columbus, Ohio, or right, somewhere you know right. big populations area. So. Uh, he had been hired by our national home missions department and uh, uh, our director at the time, which is from the Guin area. Okay. Uh, he was born and raised down there, David Crow. Uh, oh yeah, David. Uh, yeah. He was he was wanting to uh, uh, do some things to help some of our churches because a lot of our churches, and we don't even realize it, and I didn't realize how 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 this has affected a lot of our, but they were dying. Yes. I mean, literally just swiveling up on the vine and dying. And uh, we were having churches closed left and right. And, and he felt impressed to try to do something through our home missions department to, to not take over these churches, but to reach out to them and say, hey, uh, we have this opportunity here. We'd love to help you if you're willing. And uh, that's how it all come about. And as we began to pray about some things, God, where would you have us to go? What would you do? I actually had the gentleman that was over our department at that time, uh, Jim McComas, come and preach a revival for us. And um, uh, he began to talk to me about some things. And, and I, you know, and, and we began to put two and two together and begin to see some things, the paths that we had taken, the churches we had been, the ministries we had been involved in, uh, even in churches and then, you know, even little Christian schools. And, and areas where we had been that we had worked in, all of it was leading up to this opportunity uh, where God was preparing us to take this step, but also, uh, you know, putting us in places to where we would learn these things uh, that might help and uh, carry us forward. Uh, so just in conversation with him, uh, he said, hey, you know, why don't, why don't you check this out? And we come up to Louisville one weekend, checked it out, and 
and you know god just sort of uh, put it on our hearts and we we sort of knew at the time that it was mentioned to us uh that that would be you know this is what god was was had been preparing us for and was about to move us into and uh, listen it, it it's difficult uh to do that because you have an established church uh who has been in a community for a long period of time and uh, and then for them to be willing to take that that step to you know basically restart yes and replant uh and and trying to get folks to understand because you know church revitalization you know it, it's still one of those things where it's hard for people to understand well why do you need church revitalization why can't you just go plant one somewhere right um uh, and and when you look out across our country and you see today that you know statistics depending on who you read behind but i, I think most of them are in agreement around uh, 4,000 churches are closing every year mm-hmm. and, and we're not, we're not, um, you know, we're not planning enough churches to compensate for that. Uh, and, and you're talking places like Louisville where we're at, which is uh, in the Metro area, uh, 1.2 million people. Uh, yeah. They may have churches on every corner, but not every church preaches the Bible. That's correct. <laughs> uh, and I, and that's hard for us to understand sometimes because we think, well, they're a church. They preach the Bible. Well, they may preach some some of it, but they don't preach the entire council. They right. don't preach all of it, and uh, some of them have gotten you know away from it totally. Yes, and uh, you know preaching opinions or or whatever. Right. Uh, of course, that's probably for another podcast as well. But uh, and 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 folks are just you know I think we're just well we can't go any further. Some are not willing to change at that time, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but or make the changes necessary to get the church back. And, you know, I, and I've even thought, and you, you can back me up on this, even even in the area where you're at there, uh, churches that we used to go to on Sunday afternoons to sing are no longer, uh, you know, they're not only are they not having singings, uh, they're not even having services anymore. Uh, and if some of them are even in existence, you know, they may not even still look like there is this even a church. Um, and, and I don't have any one particular one in mind. I just know, you know, things have changed. And... Uh, yeah, you're you're 100 percent correct. Um, yeah, I, while you were talking about that, my mind is racing and driving up and down the highways here. And mm-hmm. and I know I know I don't know how many people will listen to this, but I, I think that it would be incredibly I believe it would be a far stretch to think that someone would not be listening to this, that when they started hearing about church plants and church revitalizations, did not deep down, if they're being honest, get a little bowed up, get a little mm-hmm. aggravated, um, mm-hmm. and, and 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 that exists here. You start. I, I had said under a sermon from and, and Brother uh, Lamar Duke just passed away. Uh, I think last year he passed away, but he had a cancer battle. But he was the uh, Alabama State Board of Missions uh, church planner. He, he was the lead pastor for church mm-hmm. planters over the state of Alabama in, in the Southern Baptist denomination. And I, and I said under some of his sermons a time or two, listened to him, and I loved his heart. But, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's one of the things. The churches who are—and look, I, I've said this, and boy, I, I know I've got uh, lips poked out about this, but, yeah, full parking lots, big CDs in the bank, mm-hmm. uh, a great budget— church full of staff 
that's not the signs of a healthy church. Right. That's that's not the litmus test when it comes down to the Heavenly Father looking at it. And and so many churches who were like that back in my and your day mm-hmm. are now some. I, I, and, and again, I, I never want to point out any particular church because sure. all churches have faults just like all humans have faults. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I know I, I, a church comes to my mind that when I was young, man, they had youth ministers and just a church full of people. Mm-hmm. And... I know now there's about maybe 14 members, and they're all mm-hmm. above the age of 60. Mm-hmm. That church right. is gone. Yeah. I mean, that that church is to the point to where without something happening, like a, a church revitalization plan, mm-hmm. it's it's going to go away. And and the sad thing is, is, is and I'll, I'll talk about the Southern Baptist because I guess that's where— uh, my, I know that's where all my ministry has been and, 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 and everything, but, uh, you know, you know, from talking to me, I don't give a flip about denominations. Sure. I, I care about sure. the word of God, just like you said, being preached in full counsel and, and, mm-hmm. and being in his will and his way. But Southern Baptists are notorious for not wanting change. And, and, and I know that so many, I've served and seen. I've sat in on the business meetings. I've sat in on the deacons meetings. I've sat in on the meetings where it, it's all about taking care of the status quo. Uh, mm-hmm. There's strongholds in place. There's things that we won't touch. There's things that we will not change. And, you know, even to the point where I, I, I'm afraid that we get to the point where we'll go ahead and lock the doors before we will give in to saying, Maybe there's maybe we need help. Maybe we need somebody with a fresh perspective. Maybe mm-hmm. we need somebody with a fresh calling to come in and 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 do a reboot. You know, uh, right. let's get a fresh take, a fresh start on this. I, I, I read one thing on you know as far as the revitalization goes. I don't know how it is in your and you can talk about the process on this that you took in just a second, but you know I've heard that. You know, one thing that is done is is on a full reboot is when somebody comes in, you know, basically it's a fresh start where all church officers, deacons, such as that, mm-hmm. we clean slate. You know, we, mm-hmm. we look out, we, and, and boy, you talk about getting some dander raised, but, right. but you know, sometimes, look, sometimes, and, and, and I, am, I am guilty of this. When I talk about this, I'm not talking down. I'm t- I'm I need a mirror right here on this wall in my studio because I have sat in and I have participated in the country club church. I'm just saying I'm guilty. All I'm saying in that statement is is I'm guilty of sitting mm-hmm. there, and it's easy to let the things of the world and the business model. Hey, there's a lot of pastors being put out by Southern Baptist seminaries. I'll just talk again about that domination because that's who I am. Um, or who I've been, um, they're putting out a lot of pastors who are sent out with a business model, mm-hmm. a marketing business model, how to build a successful church. Well, why don't we send it out with the second chapter of Acts right. and start moving through the book of Acts and through the Pauline letters? Let's, let's start building church that way. 
But right. you're with me. You know, you know, all I'm sure. on, I, I got on a little rant there, but you know, <laughs> but I, I feel like it, maybe you can amen that or kind of that's where, sure. where it comes from and where the need for you to come in as a church revitalizer. Um, yeah. I think that's where it comes in. So, so all that to say then, so you, you move into this process, you, you have a church that you're going to go into. Can you talk a little bit about then once that was determined, once you yielded to that call and once the place was appointed for you to go, what that process looked like? Yeah. And, and, and before I do, I, I just want to say, it's not just Southern Baptist. It's, it's all of your mainstream denominations that are struggling with this and i know you i know you're not just singling one no. of them out but <laughs> but there may be folks listening that are part of other other denominations and stuff but and, and the sad reality is now if you go on and google church revitalization you're going to find these statistics uh they say uh and i say they those that know mm-hmm. uh i mean you're looking at uh, uh about 10 to 15 percent uh, of the churches in general are really what you would consider a thriving on fire uh, church. Then you would have a small percentage equal to that, 10 to 15% that uh, are just dead. And, yeah. and most of it don't know. But then you have that, that percentage in between, which could be anywhere from 75 to 80% of our churches that do not even realize they're in decline. Right. And, and that is, that's the sad thing. Uh, you, you alluded to it. If, if, if they look at it, they look and say, well, we can pay our pastor. We can pay our bills. You know, we've got people coming. Yeah, maybe not as many as we want, but we can make this payment. We can do this. We can do this. And we have a little setback for a rainy day. Right. We're good. You know, we're good. We're, we're, we're okay. Well, you know, we're living in a time where okay is not good enough. That's right. You know, as the commercial says that we see on TV sometimes, <laughs> okay is just not good enough. Right. You know, uh, we are we are in a battle that that we don't even realize, or I, if we if we realize it, we have forgotten. Right. The importance of the battle that we're in, and and as you said, we would rather die with our church, with me being in control of it, than me making the necessary changes to make it better and improve it and it becoming a missional church like the church in, that we read about in acts right. uh, a church that's on mission that's right and we've gotten off mission that's why we're dying right uh we we have gotten off mission of what's important what is the mission of the church it's to go and disciple it's to go and and teach and preach and baptize and and you know as well as i do that passage is is not just talking about dunking them under the water. That's right. You know, and, and getting it done. But it, it it deals with discipling them and teaching them how to live Scripture. And that's something that we've gotten away from. Yes, sir. Uh, our focus has gotten off of, of preaching the the how to live and how to live victoriously. And I and I do want to jump in. Yeah, yeah, going back to just in case for my Southern Baptist friends. Yeah, I love every single one of you. Now, mm-hmm. the big thing about me is, is I'm just big, transparent. I don't like to ever look like I'm talking down to. Sure, uh, sure. So the, bi- the the way that I give examples is I talk about myself. And mm-hmm. so that's, mm-hmm. yeah, I appreciate you saying that, that it's all denominations and wide sweeping. But, yeah, I'm not being mean toward uh, no, toward no. that toward my de- denomination, but it's just 
I, I feel more comfortable talking ab, uh, about what I know than pointing fingers out and sure. saying y'all because it's, sure. it's 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 not y'all it's 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 we and and sure. so yeah so thanks for clearing that up for me. Oh yeah, well I mean that's the, I, I had to do that. I had to watch that when I was on itinerary uh, because I could say certain things certain times when I was speaking and I could tell the air just suck out of the room and I'm like, oops, <laughs> you too, I might huh? not ought to mention that again in that in that tone. But, you know, church revitalization is, is something that's new to a lot of people, and they don't fully understand it. And, and that was part of the problem, and part of it here where we're at, they say, oh, well, we're getting a new preacher. Okay, yeehaw, we got a new preacher on board, and it's more than just that. Uh, fortunately, the church where we're at now had just gotten down to eight people that were coming. And uh, those eight people, I mean, they, they were to the point of, of closing, and the state of Kentucky uh, we have 120, 27, 26, 27 churches, Free Will Baptist churches here in Kentucky. And uh, majority of those are over in East Kentucky. And I sort of kid around with folks, and I, I doubt very seriously any of them will hear it. But if they do, I'm just kidding with this. But you go up a holler and you have a Free Will Baptist church over there, basically. <laughs> That's how crowd, 120 of those churches are, are in East Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Well, if you could draw a line down the middle and Lexington be in the middle of the state, you come east or west of Lexington and you only have about six churches. Uh, and, and, and majority of the population of Kentucky lives where there's only six churches or six free will Baptist churches. And Louisville being one of those where there's 1.2 million people here in the metro area, uh, we only have one free will Baptist church. Well, does that matter? Well, it does. Because this church has been here about 58, 59 years, almost 60 now. I guess this would be the technical 60th year of it. Uh, but to have been here, and, and you look back over those years, and you see the pastors who have come and preached. You see it in its heyday when it was running 90 to 100 people. Uh, you see the, the, the sweat and the blood and the tears that went into it to, to make it or to help it become a, a light in this community. And then all of a sudden, there's nothing there. Uh, it, it's almost a slap in the face to those who have come before just to let it die and not do anything about it. Those pastors who have, have you know, invested uh, themselves, their lives into this ministry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that was one of the things that really drew us to this, not because we wanted to move to a big city. Uh, that wasn't it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a country boy at heart, <laughs> right. you know, uh, I would rather be out in the middle of nowhere where I could have a garden and, you know, work, go deer hunt, fish, whatever, all of that, and, and not have to travel to do that. Um, but uh, so when, when we got here, there were only eight people and, you know, something needed to be done. And, and our, you know, our folks here in Kentucky, they said, you know, we, we don't want to lose that church. So, so much has been invested in that church and we want to do our best to keep it. We believe there's opportunity here. And uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the term nuns, uh, N-O-N-E-S, uh, but if you look that up on, 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 you know, online and stuff, research that out. Uh, here in the Louisville area, uh, back several years ago, I don't know what the latest, uh, but four or five years ago, 45% of the folks in Louisville considered themselves being nuns, meaning they had no affiliation whatsoever with church. Right. And you can go and research that in your local community and find out what that is, and you would be you would be blown away. Yes, uh, at the, at the number of people that would consider themselves 
to not have any affiliation with religion, church, or anything. Uh, and I would challenge you that are listening to go check that out um, and, and just see what the stats are in your community. Um, and, and, you know, 45% of it, 45% uh, of 1.2 million, I'm not good with math, so we're just going to round up. So that's, that's a half a million people, you know, that have no affiliation whatsoever with church. So uh, even in a community where there's churches pretty much on every corner, is there a need for a church? There's a need for a church that's going to preach the gospel. That's right. And, and, and win souls for the kingdom. And, and that's what we're doing. And, and our folks realize that. And uh, one of the things that we did when we come in, um, they, of course, they approached our home missions department and said, hey, we, we really want to do this. We want help. And we're willing to do whatever we can. Uh, so we come in while we were working on itinerant, we would be here one Sunday a month and, and preach and teach, you know, do some things, just try to lay some groundwork. Uh, but then once we got our support raised, uh, we, we shut the doors to the church. And uh, uh, for six months, I told them, I said, we're not having church. I know that sounds bad, but if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Uh, and we're going to start fresh. Uh, so in the process, we changed the name of the church from First Free Will Baptist Church to Connection Free Will Baptist Church or Connection Church. A Free Will Baptist Fellowship is technically what's on the sign, but uh, it is registered as a Free Will Baptist Church for those that may be wanting to know. But anyway, uh, and so, you know, we, we did that. We, we come in and we remodeled and we really needed to. Man, I, if I could show you the pictures, man, it was horrible. Uh, when we come and visited, there was mold, mildew all over the bottoms of the pews and the walls and the, the uh, uh, baseboards and the doors and the hymn books. I mean, you picked up a hymn book and it felt fuzzy and, you know, you, you wasn't in wow. the 60s and 70s. You, you, I mean, you looked at it and, 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 it, and it, stuff's going to, and you just get sick. Wow. Uh, just thinking about it. That's how far it had gone uh, hmm. and not even realizing that they had gotten in that situation. Uh, so we, we did everything. We, we, we got rid of everything that I could get rid of, and we remodeled and modernized it a little bit. Uh, of course, I use that word loosely, but uh, basically what we did, we ripped out the carpet, put new carpet in. We, we redone the stage. We took out the pews and put chairs in, um, and we repainted, and that's basically what we did. Uh, and that helped a lot. Sure. That helped tremendously. Mm -hmm. um, so now for, and then we relaunched in October of 18. Uh, so we've been at it now a little over a year, almost a year and a half, I guess, a little over a year and a half uh, of, uh, as Connection Church, where we're here every Sunday. We're having at least one service a month. Uh, prior to COVID, uh, we were doing Bible study on Sunday afternoon. So we had, we had started doing that and trying to lay the foundations through, through Bible study, just basically starting over with basic biblical principles and teaching them, you know, going through church covenant, going through, you know, uh, the, the steps of, uh, of a new Christian, you know, just basically starting from scratch and teaching these folks because they had not had it. The folks that were still holding on to it, they had not had the teachings uh, of those in the past. And, uh, uh, you know, we could probably sit here and debate why it got in that situation, why it found itself there. And, you know, that's for another day. Sure. That's, you know, the, the, the importance behind it is uh, they, they got to the point where they realized they needed help. And if they didn't get the help, if they were not willing to make the necessary changes, they were going to die and literally shut the doors. Right. And, and I believe several of these folks would have never gone to another church, to be honest with you. Hmm. Uh, but uh, they saw that they allowed the change to take place. 
uh, without um, without any issues. Um, so it, it's been you know it, it's been something that's needed, uh, but it's taking it's taking a long time to get this. Like I said, we've been at it a year and a half now. We have been able to pick up a couple of families. Uh, one in, in our immediate neighborhood that uh, they've been several times and uh, you know, it's just taking time. Uh, it's sure. not easy to do this. Uh, a lot of folks say it's easier to, to start one from scratch than it is to restart one. And I'm, I'm beginning to believe that uh, because I, you know, just the, you know, just seeing the building uh, there's, there, there's, you know, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I think there's a stigma that comes with it. Maybe folks in the community who've been hurt in the past, exactly. not realizing that yes. things are different and, yes. cha- and, and see that's, you know, again, we could go a lot of different podcasts with this, sure. but, and we may, uh, <laughs> but the bottom line is, is just, you know, it's taking time to reestablish who we are opening mm-hmm. up as a new church or a new name, trying to establish who we are in this community. It's taking time. And uh, our folks are, you know, uh, beginning to see some things. Uh, obviously, this uh, COVID did not help us any. As we right. were gaining a little bit of momentum. It's mm-hmm. now set us back, um, I mean, obviously, three months because two and a half of that, we didn't have services. Right. Uh, but by the time we get back up and running and being able to really invite people and have them come and do things to reach out to them with community events and things like that without all of these restrictions and everything, you know, it, it may be six months to a year before sure. we get back on track. Uh, so we're we're having to deal with that now. But um, you know, that that's pretty much what we're doing and and where we're at. I know that's probably a longer answer to the to what you were saying or questioning a while ago. But no, that's uh, exactly that is somewhat as to where we're at because it, it's a whole new thought uh, to the folks because we we don't even do Sunday school and, and that's hard. You know, coming from a conservative <laughs> That's right. yeah. background, um, traditional, you know, I'm not one for change. I just don't like change. I, but but I've had to make myself change on some things. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, used to, you wouldn't see me without a coat and tie if I was preaching. <laughs> now right. I don't. Right. I don't wear one because, uh, you know, folks in my community, you know, where we're at, our little church here, the ones we're trying to reach, they're not doctors and lawyers. Yep. We're not in the rich part of Louisville. We're in a community that's probably middle to lower income. Mm-hmm. Probably the median income is twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year. Right. Uh, and that's not much, especially living in Louisville. In Louisville, right. Um, but, but I try to dress to where they're going to accept me and not look down at me. And I can, you know, uh, re- respond to them. And, and that just sort of goes against everything I was taught, you know. <laughs> Uh, especially coming from from funeral service background and all of oh, that, yeah. learning the rules of etiquette and all of that stuff, and, right. and and you know how to treat people. And now you know I'm doing things different, and um, so uh, you know even music. You know I grew up on hymns, <sighs> oh, and, yeah. you know three hymns, uh, uh, an offering, a special, and and preach, an invitation, and go home. Uh, but you know learning how to step out of your box sometimes uh, really you know makes those little changes makes big differences and that's one thing george battle always tried to teach me when we was working there at the funeral home mm-hmm. he'd say rod and i don't know why he called me rod for short but uh he'd say rod it's the little things that matter the most oh yeah i thought i'd have that body laid out in perfection and he'd come along and change something else and uh 
uh, and I picked up that bad habit because I'll do it. I mean, it's just some little something I'm going to change. But, you know, I appreciate what George was trying to teach me sure. during those years because I've now been able to apply that even in ministry. It's the little things. You make those little tweaks, and you can make folks, you know, not you're trying to manipulate them or anything, but but you, you just that little bit, it, it makes that appearance that you've gone above and beyond. That's right. And, uh, and, and so, you know, and I had to do that myself. Mm-hmm. I had to come to, I, I wrestled with that and struggled with that, uh, to, to make it, uh, just a whole different, for a lack of a better word, culture mm-hmm. within the church. One, one term that we use now is DNA, you know, changing the DNA within the right. church, right? getting it out of the traditional state of, of, of mind, because traditionalism, I believe has in, in, in many cases killed the church sure. or is killing the church. I agree. Um, we've had, ooh, I don't know if you want me to say you edit it if you want to, but it's almost as though we've become pharisaical in, in our approach to it because so many of the things that we have added have become, you know, they're, they're traditions and, and it's hard to take away those traditions. Uh, and we're not willing to take away those traditions, those man-made traditions and oh, yeah. it's having its effect on us. And uh, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not a good effect. It's not a positive effect. Right. Uh, it's killing us. So. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and you know, um, the folks around here that know me that will listen to this podcast will probably think that I steered you towards saying that <laughs> no. pharisaical statement. No. Because, you did not. Because, you did not. Let's make that clear. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm really big on that. And, and, and I do. I get a lot. I, I'm really uh, you, you talked about when you would get up and you would say something, and and I would say one of my faults is 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 probably sometimes I'm a little too. I, I believe in shooting straight, and sometimes mm-hmm. when I shoot straight, it can come across not like I want it to. But sure. but I'm just being. I'm really big on being transparent and being honest, mm-hmm. and and everything that you said is spot on. And I love because you really covered in this discussion already. One thing that I had listed down was to talk about some challenges with this. And I think they've already kind of been touched and covered. And most of the challenges would be along those lines of traditionalism. Hey, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm the same way. I came up from a different way. And I was the same way when I first started leading music in church. I would make the ugly statement that as long as I was doing it, it's going to be out of the hymn book with a piano. And, you know, I had an encounter uh, at a youth conference. And now I do not like orchestrated church. I do not like any kind of man-made orchestrated worship experience. You know what I mean by that? Like Mm -hmm. like we get Mm -hmm. making something happen. But I was in a group of about 2000 kids and I saw 2,000 kids that come from, probably from mostly churches like ours that were very traditional, and the worship leader was using some of that confounded new music. <laughs> and I looked around, and I saw young people having an encounter with the Lord, like actually mm-hmm. freely lifting up the name of Jesus in mm-hmm. thankfulness with hearts of praise. And, and I tell people, it's like God grabbed me by the neck and is like, who are you to decide what is adequate and correct 
worship. Now, mm -hmm. there are some biblical pieces to the worship. Mm -hmm. I mean, every, you know, when you're talking about things and with modesty and things in order, and, and then there's things that needs to be in place. But what I'm saying is, is the traditionalism, I, I, I remember I, I heard an encounter a worship leader had, and, you know, around here, even some of our churches who do, um, who who maybe have ditched the former formal dress for their pastors, whether it be the speaking pastor or the worship pastor or whatever, uh, they dress more casual. Um, even when it when it comes Lord's Supper time, well then mm -hmm. we have to put on the the coat and the tie. And uh, a worship pastor one time was talking to the congregation about uh, that, and and he's like me, uh, I, I can't stand a necktie. Now I wear it, you know, but sure. Um, it's just not my favorite thing. I, I'm a whole lot more comfortable in overalls than I am a coat and tie. And um, I wouldn't wear overalls so much to church, but you know what I mean. Um, but um, anyway, he made the conference and re uh, reference scripture about how God does not look at man as man does, but God looks straight to the heart and how he God is much more uh, concerned for that Lord's Supper service with the condition of the heart than whether the pastor and the deacons have on coats and ties. Mm -hmm. And he got reprimanded. Mm. He got reprimanded now by leadership. And, and, but that is, that is the, the choking effect of this traditionalism. And it becomes so Pharisaic. So many of those things are man-made tradition. Now, is there anything wrong with a coat and tie? Absolutely no. not. No. But when no. it becomes the focus point, when it becomes a stumbling block, when it becomes a stronghold, then we've moved our focus away and... And, and we've lost sight of that first love. You know, we've mm -hmm. lost our direction. So I'm, I'm totally, and, and I, I would have to guess that, you know, for all church revitalizers, that the strongholds and the traditionalism are, are the major hindrances to that. And, and then I also love something that you spoke about in coming to the, what you're doing now and as far as teaching Bible and, and how you, you talked about going back to the basics. And mm -hmm. even the church covenant. Now, that's one thing, and I notice every church I go into, I look and see if there's a church covenant hung somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you in most churches, and most churches have it stuck at least somewhere. If it's, if it's not in the sanctuary, it's in a foyer, or it's in a hallway, fellowship hall, somewhere there's usually a church covenant. Right. But to, if you started asking those members about the parts and the pieces and what it means for them to be a member mm -hmm. of that church, per mm -hmm. the church covenant, they don't know. And they especially don't know the whys. Because right. the basic church covenant, where I do think there's some things that has snuck into the covenant that might be a little traditionalism, by and large, the church, church covenant is taken straight from Scripture. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything in there that members are agreeing to to live by as being a member of the church is scriptural. I think it's amazing, uh, a great idea for a, a new church plant, a church revitalization. And, and even if, if, if somebody's listening to this and, and neither one of those apply, go back and teach those sure. church covenants. Go back and teach the biblical foundation and the biblical structure for that 
church covenant and get back to the basics. You know, I, uh, I, I wrote something this morning on Facebook and I was talking about uh, the song Loving God, Loving Each Other uh, mm-hmm. that Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote. And the verse says, we tend to make things harder, build steeples out of stone, and we fill books with explanations of the way. And in some ways, um, some ways when I hear some pastors that I've heard come straight out of seminaries and start preaching, they've read too many books. Right. And they haven't read enough in the book, if that right. makes any sense. Get yes. back to the foundation scriptures and teach mm-hmm. the basics. So I think, to me, you just gave a wonderful blueprint if you wanted to hit a reboot uh, button on your church as far as the teaching, where the, even if it's a, even if they're not going through a restart, um, mm-hmm. if, if the pastor and the deacons, the leadership, the elders in the church want to take a look and do a, do a reboot, kind of a refresh, uh, you gave a good blueprint. Go back to the basics. Go back sure. to those basics and, and, and just go from there. Because we take, I, I remember a deacon, and it's, one of the, it's, a, it's a man who is one of the most admired men in my life of serving with deacons in church ministry. I, I admire him and loved him with all my heart, an older guy. But he flat out spoke and told that, you know, he had not been discipled. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he had not been poured into scripturally and with Bible teaching like he needed to be. And this was, at that time, an 80-something-year-old gentleman, you know. Uh, we can't take for granted that everybody's got it, that everybody knows. Sure. And, and, you know, you have different levels of spiritual maturity. And even though there may be snow on the mountaintops, on the peaks, or they mm-hmm. may have gray hair, that doesn't mean that they're spiritually mature, you know. And I right. think we need to go back, and, and we do, we need to go back to the basics. So you hit on a lot of, uh, of good meat there, brother, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I think you lay. I, I think you gave a lot of good items to consider for all churches, not just some. You know, because hopefully, you know, most people who are listening to this is they're not going to be in a part of a church that's to that point, like what you spoke of, where and, right. and what I spoke of, where basically it's 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 a goner, you know, without having a total uh, wipe the slate clean. But I figure that everybody is listening. Everybody that is listening, and maybe everybody's too big, but it's got to be in the 90-something percentile. All of our churches have some work to do, all Mm -hmm. of us. I mean, Mm -hmm. no matter what, no matter where we stand, I think we all, and and it should be our heart to want to be the church that God called us to be, to want to be a replica of the blueprint for the church that that the Lord gave us in his word. And... Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe it's some pride that we need to swallow. I know I've had to swallow a lot of pride in the past. Maybe we need to humble ourselves a little bit. But I, I think it. I think you gave a lot of good material for any church to use uh, to maybe try to do a litmus test, so to speak, kind of mm-hmm. kind of look and uh, look at the plumb line and see where we measure up. And if we see that we may have a little waiver there, maybe a good little plan to kind of move back. Uh, I I, I would surely hope that everyone wants our churches to be uh, what God would have them to be, Uh, especially especially if they claim a title of leadership, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, um, especially if they are an elder or a deacon in the church. Uh, that, That I would hope that, it, before making the prominent families happy, before making 
uh, the ones who write the biggest checks happy before following all the things that we we have to do because we've did them that way for 50 years i would hope that that all takes a back seat to the hearts that we would have to following the lord that that would sure. be my hope if it's not we've got some work to do oh sure and i would recommend too scott you know you, you mentioned that as an assessment yeah you can find assessments online for church revitalization and, and they're just basic questions that that you could you could look at and and figure out you know take for yourself take for your church you know where do we stand is there areas that we can improve on and uh you know i it's just like anything else why why do we go to a mirror uh you know to That's see right. if there's any imperfections there and if there are more times than not we're going to fix it before we walk away i know when i check my hair you and i both have been this way with our hair for years you come on back. now yeah we you know we we folks couldn't even go to the bathroom after we changed at churches because the hairspray the fog of hairspray now so, you're meddling <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know we do that and even to this day you know i'm still particular about my hair uh because you know i want to look good uh, you know, I, I don't want it to be messy, right. uh, especially if I'm going to be in front of people and, you know, that's, but I'm trying to put on a show either. That's not what I'm saying, but we look into a mirror. Well, what is the word of God to us? Uh, we're taught that it is a looking glass. That's right. Well, you look into it and you see, and be honest. You got to be honest. That's right. You know, sometimes we don't want to be honest with it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, one of the things that, uh, I've tried to, to, to get across to our people is the importance of, of making connections. Uh, in our churches, you know, we, we get so lapsed you know, and not fulfilling the mission because we just assume people know where we're at. We know they know who our church is. They know folks. And, and we don't we don't ask anymore. We don't seek to, to get people to, to come. Um, we just assume because we have a church. Folks are going to come, you know, it's right. almost like the Field of Dreams movie. If you build it, they'll come. Well, that's not true anymore especially where we live here in Louisville, where it's a multicultural community. I mean, we have folks from all over the world living here, just within a, a literal stone's throw of where I'm living. You know, I have Hispanics, I have Nepalis, I have uh, Cubans, uh, which I guess you could claim them as Hispanics. But, you know, we have all these different different religions, different folks, and all, and folks don't always know. So I try to encourage our people to make connections. Yeah. And that's part of the reasons why, why we use the name Connection Church, um, because uh, I tell them, I think one of the things that you had mentioned to me, you know, is there a mission statement for the church? It is. It is to connect people with Christ. That's our, you know, connect with people and then connect people with Christ because he's the one that's ultimately going to make the difference in their lives. Uh, but then from there, we connect them to church. Obviously, we want to connect them to our local church, our church, uh, because that's what we're trying to do is build a church, grow a church. But we also then want to teach them to go back and connect with community. You know, it's not just to get saved and sit on a pew and be a number on a board. It, it's not just that. It's to be involved. It's to go back out and, and repeat that process again with with somebody else that they know in their circle of influence yes, and to try to get our people to understand, Hey, you got to do it. And that's asking a lot of folks to step out of their comfort zone, right? Uh, to go and, and invite somebody to come to church. Uh, but that's necessary. If we're going to build churches, whether it's church plants, church revitalizations, or even in our local community in the quote unquote established churches, if we don't get out and make these connections with people, 
will never be what God would have us to be as far as the church goes. Amen, and, and I try to tell them that and teach them that and make that part of our structure, our DNA structure, um, because it's important, you know, and, and getting them to realize that people uh, are important. Uh, somebody at some point in time knocked on their door or spoke to them and they're where they're at today because they responded to that conversation about God and uh, it needs to be carried forward. That's right. One of our one of our images that we use for that, uh, obviously we use the cross for Christ, church for church, but for community I used a puzzle piece. And if you think about a puzzle piece, it has normally, uh, the one we have is our symbol, has two outputs and two inputs. Mm-hmm. I don't know what those little things are called. That's just <laughs> what I call them. But, you know, I'm sure there's a technical name for those rounded edges on a puzzle piece or those slots. But I tell them, I said, look, there's there's two outputs, there's two inputs. So why did you use that? Well, I want our folks to know that they need to output. They need to put out in the community. But also when people come, they have opportunity to plug in and and have input into our church. You know, I'm not trying to build a church where it's just centered around me and my family. Right. I'm trying to get folks disciple to put them in those positions to teach Sunday school, to teach Bible classes, to teach, you know, whatever. If I'm not there to lead singing, to be part of the ministry aspect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that's all part. It's all about making those connections, discipling people, getting them to that point to where they're confident that they can go out and share the gospel with people without having to feel inferior to them. Or to the other person, right? Uh, but because I, I think that's where we're at. I think you know some of some of our issues today. We folks don't know how to share Christ. Oh, absolutely. They don't know how to. They don't know how to have that conversation with somebody. Um, maybe out of fear, uh, but you know, um, we serve a God that that there's no need for us to fear. That's right. You know. Uh, so and, and there again, there's a lot of other things that we could go down on that. Sure. But, but I, that's why we use the word connection. That's you know, great. And because and I wanted our folks to realize that, hey, we, we've got to make connections with people. And, and when I do newsletters and stuff, which I do monthly to let our supporters know, uh, that's one of the things I remind them. Make sure you are making connections in your own community uh, because people people need it. That's they right. They need the Lord. Even in rural counties uh, in, in our states, there's people that and you'll be surprised. They'll be, there's people that have never stepped foot in the door before. They don't know who David is. They don't know who Daniel is. They don't know who Jesus is. That's right. Other than just a, 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 a curse word that is used because they see it on TV. That's right. You know. I agree uh, with you. So we, we need to make sure that our people are making connections in, in, in communities to, you know, wherever they're at. Uh, for the sake of the God. And, and you know, if we just get back to, to, to our mission, mm-hmm. uh, we'd probably see a lot of revitalization works. Amen. That's right. Amen. That's right. And, uh, boy, that's that, that's that's uplifting and encouraging uh, to me. Uh, you, you you let me on fire then at the end with that. And, I, yeah, your, your mission statement is spot on with that connecting and connection, and that's what it's all about. And, uh I'm excited for you. I know we've gone a little over an hour here, so probably a good place to wrap up. You know, some point in time when it's convenient for you, we might uh, come back on and chase another rabbit trail if you would like to. But sure. uh, sounds good. But uh, I think there's a lot of other doors and, and areas we could go to. But 
I, uh, I definitely appreciate you taking the time uh, to spend with me today, Rodney. I thank the world of you. Um, I, I really do. And I'm uh, definitely keeping you in, in your church plant or your church uh, revitalization, I'm sorry, in, 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 uh, in our prayers and keeping you and your family as your own side in our prayers and we'll continue to do so. Hey, maybe sometime uh, Mike could make that little short trip and uh, and visit with you guys sometime. Sure. I'd love to do that and, and, sure. and see you all up there. But I uh, do thank you for spending time with me. And uh, if I can ever do anything for you, uh, you know, you can just uh, give me a call. But uh, for our listeners, I just uh, thank you for tuning in again with us. And uh, if you haven't subscribed or followed us on the podcast app that you're listening on, whether it be Spotify or op- Apple Podcast, if you would click that follow or subscribe button, you won't miss any of the episodes that we put out. And also, if you'd share us, we'd really appreciate that. I hope you enjoy the conversations that we have on here. And if you ever have any suggestions, you can send us an email at uh, scott at sbm.space, S-P-A-C-E. And we'd love to hear from you. But again, we just uh, thank you, Rodney, for joining us. And uh, hope we look forward to having you again sometime. Thank you. I look forward to it. All right, Rodney. Uh, thank you all again for listening to us. Well, we love you all. You all have a great day. God bless you. Thank you.